When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Playbook, that's the nothing personal word of the day for Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. The playbook is what we all use to get money from you, the taxpayers. No, I'm just kidding. It's not always from taxpayers. Sometimes it's just public money that is from non-taxpayers. No. All right. I'm going to come clean. All the owners get together. And they all talk about the deals and the stadium deals that they all do. It's football, it's basketball, it's baseball. It's not just me. And they talk about ways that they do it, who they meet with, when they meet, what the playbook is for threatening relocation, when you meet the media and say certain things. It's all done in a pretty choreographed way. Now, of course, sometimes it gets mucked up like the Oakland A's. Sometimes it gets ugly and sloppy. And we all know that ugly and sloppy can only be good some of the time. And usually it ends with some sort of public financing. And what we're seeing now, even though Tampa and Oakland in Major League Baseball still do not have a new stadium, there is no new stadium in Vegas or in St. Petersburg. All the other new stadiums are not new. And the epiphany I had is that we're about to start the 2024 season. We know it's coming close because Dave Roberts said, you're going to see Yamamoto and Tyler Glasnow in Korea. Of course you were. Those are their top two pitchers. When their season starts only in under a month, March 20th. And what we've been covering this week, and even part of last week, as these teams report, owners are speaking to the media. And I cannot stress enough that when owners speak to the media, bad things happen because they don't really want to be coached, even though we try. They don't really listen, even though we teach. And sometimes they get flustered with the red lights because it's not really what they do. So you can go the John Henry route, which is run from the media, literally like a movie. When the media comes, you run, let Sam Kennedy speak. Don't ever let Tom Warner speak. You could be Jerry Reinsdorf and go to Springfield, Illinois and ask for a billion dollars and then, hey, how did that meeting go? Well, you'll have to ask them. Well, well, no, Jerry, we're asking you, how did that meeting go? Well, I think I really convinced him and pitched him well on why we need a billion dollars in order to develop all sorts of land on the South Loop. So Marlins Park, in 2024 is starting its 13th season already. When I read that Chase Field in Arizona is the fourth oldest park in the National League, and by definition, you've got Wrigley and Chavez Ravine, which are always in the oldest. So the fourth oldest, that means 
that the Arizona Diamondbacks, who opened their ballpark in 1998, and remember that big, it's sort of like an airplane hangar, and it's right in downtown. It's right near Sky Harbor Airport. It was fantastic at the time. It is just old. And we have been watching for almost a year as the Diamondbacks, along with the Coyotes, everybody in Arizona is looking for something, but the Diamondbacks have been trying to figure out, are they going to renovate Chase Field or are they going to get a new ballpark? And that is always the equation that we would present or that you're supposed to present with the playbook to the public authorities. Hey, we could spend a billion dollar renovating or you could give us $2 billion and we'll get a new ballpark or 500 million, a billion. You just make it a delta so that renovating doesn't make sense. It's like when you own your own house, hey, do we renovate the house or just tear it down or gut it or buy a new one? It's a math equation. Can the money that you spend on renovation, is there an ROI? When you redo your bathroom or your kitchen, is my house worth 20 grand more when I put 10 grand into the kitchen? That's sort of, that's the math that you have to think about. When you don't own your own ballpark, the math is quite a bit different. Do we put our money into a renovation of Chase Field? And will the return on investment of new suite revenue and et cetera, will that pay off or should we just start over? So way back in April, Derek Hall met the media and said when he actually, he was giving a speech to the Phoenix Business Journal and Derek Hall is one of the best team presidents around. He's been there for a very, very long time. Terrific executive. But he fell into the deadline trap, which is the same trap that they fall into in Kansas City. Hey, in Oakland, hey, we'll have renderings for you today. And then a month passes or three months pass and no renderings. And oh, another deadline missed. Part of the playbook is don't give deadlines unless they're real. So back in April, I had to wait to see that the Diamondbacks were going to have and going to get a new stadium because on April 11th, when he met the Phoenix Business Journal, he said, obviously, Phoenix doesn't want to lose us and the impact that we make on downtown. So we're having good conversations. And I would say in the next couple months, we want to know. And the reason why he presented it as though that was a deadline is they wanted to figure out, are they getting in line for relocation? Are they in line behind the A's? Are they going to relocate toward the east, which impacts expansion? Are they taking an east city, a west city? What are they going to do? Of course, what they really want is just a new ballpark in Phoenix. So spring training starts this week. And Ken Kendrick, the longtime owner of the Arizona Diamondbacks, decided to take the podium and speak to the media. I've got 79 seconds for you that are guaranteed to make you smile. And having those conversations, there, there are opportunities available. You know, there are other cities that would covet having Major League Baseball. I mean, it's not like I'm, you know, speaking out of school to say that. And those names yes, are they're prominent cities uh, that would love to have a Major League team. We're not in dialogue with those communities, but, you know, we, yes, they are. we are aware of what is going on. There, there is likely to be in time an expansion of our sport to a couple of additional cities. Cities are letting uh, MLB know their interest. Their interest in getting a team is specific. Uh, they would be happy with a brand new franchise, but they would certainly be very happy, you know, with frankly a successful existing franchise. It's not where we are spending time or energy 
we may run out of time in Phoenix. We hope that won't happen. Uh, you know, we're you know we're hard at it. We're continuing to have meetings. We've ramped up the uh, dialogue in every way that we know how, uh, and we'll continue to do that. Yeah, we we do great. we do still uh, we do still have conversations with local interested parties. It's just a you know it's a math problem with anything, right? But we we still do take the phone calls and take the meetings, but. We have been focused on on Chase. You're not at the point where you're. What an interesting choice of words by Derek is. We take the phone calls and we take the meetings. When you say that, it means you're not making the phone calls or making the meetings. So I guess they're just taking incoming calls. Like, hey, do you want us? Do you want to give us money for a new stadium? If you noticed on that clip, for those of you watching on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, Derek Hall like elbowed Kendrick out of the way to start talking when Kendrick started saying things that you really shouldn't be saying. Like, hey. We're almost out of time. Now, other than Hall and Oates, being out of time is equivalent to being out of touch. So I would just like to clarify something for all of you so you know. Cities do not say, hey, we would be happy with a brand new franchise. That means expansion. But we'd be very happy with, frankly, a successful existing franchise. When cities are looking to get either expansion or relocation, Here's the number of times they ask you, hey, do you have a good team? Hey, where are you projected to finish in this year's standings? Hey, did you make the World Series last year? Oh, now we really want you. They couldn't give one line. Yes, that. So what he was trying to tell Phoenix is that we're not talking to anyone, but we will. We're not meeting with anyone but we may have to, but we really don't want to. But if we do have to, we're going to be recherche. We're going to be sought after. This is epic playbook stuff, except the delivery of Ken Kendrick when you're starting a season. And the reason I know this is I had to do it. I had to do press conferences when spring training was starting, when I wanted our community to be excited about our team. And we were never coming off a World Series appearance other than 03. And I'm pretty sure when 04 started, all we focused on was, hey, let's try to repeat even without Pudge and D. Lee. But we'd like to get back and win it again. We'd like to, you know, repeat. So the Diamondbacks are trying to sell season tickets. They're trying to sell excitement. They're trying to sell into the fact that they had this amazing run last year. And the owner's out saying these things that if I'm a corporate sponsor or if I'm a season ticket holder, I'm saying, oh, I'm not sure I want any sort of relationship with these guys. So what could they have done differently? And what should they have done differently? If you are trying to figure out renovation versus ballpark, when is the leverage required? When is the public proclamation required? When is the threat required? Do we say now because it's almost been a year that they've been talking? Are they really almost out of time? Their lease runs out in 2027, very popular time. But Chase Field is not Alameda Coliseum. Chase Field is perfectly fine to host games. There is no problem with them signing an extension. They're not going to go play in Sacramento or in Salt Lake City on an interim basis. So I found this to be slightly premature, and I just found it to be awfully funny, the things he was saying. 
We may run out of time in Phoenix, but we hope that won't happen. They're not going to run out of time. I'm sticking with my wait to see. They will get a new ballpark in Arizona. It's going to happen. I want to touch on something that I promised you I'd get to. And I'm, I'm still working on this with Coke. I don't know if we're going to do it every day, but I sort of like it. The horse hockey quote of the day. We're always looking for possible sponsored segments because it's just business. So I sort of like the horse hockey quote of the day. And it comes from, yeah, is it coming from my FIB? Do you hear that? I hear it too. Oh, I never even hooked up. I'm taking it off. There it is. I took it off. That's it, Coke. And now I will not be able to hear you. For whatever reason, it declipped. And I was hearing like an echo, which means you heard it too. This is the thing that goes in your ear. This is Coca. That's what he looks like in case you've never seen him. Okay, it's off. Where were we? Horse hockey quote of the day. It's something that I want to start and maybe we'll get it sponsored. I have known the Lerner family in Washington for a very long time since they first got into baseball when they bought the Nationals. It, right when Nationals Park opened, right when the uh, Expos moved from Montreal, maybe it was 2005. Ted Lerner, who passed away last year, was like a grandfather to me. I loved him dearly. His dear wife, Annette, their son, Mark, who is now the control person. All of them are the whole family. They are a family of mensches, extremely charitable, extremely worth worth knowing. So I hate that I have to start with the horse hockey quote of the day from Mark Lerner. But horse hockey's horse hockey and nothing personal is nothing personal. It came out in the last couple of days that the Washington Nationals are now off the market. And he said, quote, our family has determined that we are not going to sell the team. And then the media called on the spokesperson for the Nationals and said, are we sure about that? Is that really what Mark said? Now, this may be reminiscent of the Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles and Artie Moreno, who had that team for sale and then said before the start of last season, no, no, JK. I want to bring a championship to my community and I want to be a part of it. So no selling for me. Time I told you that was Moreno saying that he hadn't quite gotten his price. Now, fast forward a year later, and Mark Lerner gives this quote with, of course, the concomitant, we want to bring another ring back to our great fans here in DC. Meanwhile, they've finished last place every year since 2019 when they won the title. Obviously, they've traded away Scherzer and Turner and Soto. Obviously, they've got an interesting young team. And obviously, the Baltimore Orioles just sold for $1.725. And the Nationals are looking for $2 billion. The Nationals are still fighting with the Orioles about Masson. The hope is that when Rubenstein buys, Rubenstein buys the Nationals, that uh, 4869. Hi, my name is David. The hope is when the Orioles are sold to David Rubenstein, that Masson and the issue between the Orioles and Nationals is going to get taken care of as part of the approval process. You may recall when the Houston Astros were sold to Jim Crane, 
Bud Selig would not allow a vote to approve Jim Crane until Jim Crane had agreed in writing to have his team move from the National League to the American League as part of a change that took place around the time of that sale. It was fascinating to be in the owners' meetings when these things were being discussed because Jim Crane did not want to go to the American League, irony of ironies, as they have been a dynasty in the American League. He wanted to stay in the National League. So it is not unprecedented for the commissioner and the other owners to say, we're not giving you our vote unless you do blank. And the fight between the Orioles and Nationals has been in and out of courts for a decade. It's been a nightmare because all that happened when the Expos moved to Washington is in order to assuage Peter Angelos and the Orioles, they had made up this regional sports network. They gave the Orioles control over it. And they said, hey, you're going to have the Nationals on your channel. You'll have to pay them rights fees, but we'll figure out what those fees are later. So there have been tons of arguments because it wasn't a set deal the way the Dodgers cable deal was set when the Dodgers were sold to Guggenheim. So I believe and I would hope and I think the that Major League Baseball will enforce and require the Masson problem to be solved. The problem is I've thought that for so long that it's possible and this is how badly baseball wants Angelos and the family out of the game, that they would approve Rubenstein and ignore settling Masson. If Major League Baseball actually does that, and you hear on this show or read somewhere else that Rubenstein has been approved to buy the Orioles, and it does not come with a settlement of all Masson disputes, that should be the final nail in what everyone believes in baseball, how they view Angelos. This is their time to get it done. The problem with the Nationals and their sale is Ted Leonsis was a bidder. Rubenstein was actually a bidder. But it's hard to know what the value is of the team. Because when you're doing due diligence, you're looking at revenue streams. And you're imagining what new revenue streams you can do. So if they're drawing one and a half million people, you say, hey, Project Wolverine will draw 2 million people at an average ticket price of $75. You look at the TV deal and say, oh, they're set with the TV deal for another 10 years. Or, oh, the TV deal expires in two years. I can negotiate an extension that will pay me even more money. Therefore, I can pay more for the franchise. Oh, Nationals Park. Why can't we get a naming rights deal? We'll call it Pepsi Park or Chase Field. I mean, Chase's name and other things. I, I, hopefully we can get to that today since they just named Inter-Miami's ballpark. Uh, temporary stadium. Temporary, temporary stadium in Fort Lauderdale, which may be permanent, but I digress. So Chase, Chase Field, that's another $15 million. And so in order to understand what you're bidding for a team, there's something called due diligence where you go into, it used to be a little, little literal room and now it's files that you get on your computer and you go through and you see all the financials, you see the real financials, you see the notes to the financials, you see the, all the underlying contracts. So when you see a corporate sales number of 12 million for the nationals, you would see every single deal, every category, you would see the actual deal. Hey, is there an exclusive in the beverage category? 
Well, there's not, then we can go to Pepsi and go to Coke. I mean, you can't because it's always exclusive for one of those two, but you get my drift. When you go into the diligence room for the Nationals, when you look at the TV deal, you're looking at a situation where you simply don't know what's going to happen. And that's had a quashing impact on the sales price. People are mistakenly telling you that one of the other impacts on a sales price in Washington is all of their deferred comp. And it rises almost to the level of what the Dodgers are doing with Freeman and Betts and Otani. If you look at the Nationals payroll this year, don't look at their payroll on the field. You'll say, my God, it's low. You have to add in what they're paying to Scherzer and what they're paying to Corbin. So in conclusion, the reason why it's total horse hockey is that what Mark meant to say is we're taking the team off the market because we can't get our number. But if we get our number, our family will have a change of heart and we will be back on the market. Speaking of back on the market, I got to bring up again, the uniform situation. It keeps getting attention. It keeps being the lead story. Tony Clark, the executive director of MLBPA, you know, Tony Clark, we talk about him throughout collective bargaining, spring training. It's not just the commission who meets the media. Tony Clark does too. Tony Clark met the media. Thank God. I mean, nothing personal. We'll never run out of things to talk about. And uh, Tony Clark met the media and talked about myriad topics. I want to start with the uniform topic because it's getting all this attention. There's all these pictures where the pants are see-through. And so in theory, you're going to get to see, you know, more of a player than you'd want. See who the heir apparent is to Fernando Seganal or John Holmes. And the players are complaining. It doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good. And the commissioner commented on it saying, we're fine. Everyone relax. It's been tested. Don't worry. Tony Clark comes out and wants you to believe that the union is taking issue with the uniforms. He said, sometimes adjustment period goes well, sometimes not so much, talking about uniforms. In this instance, there appears to be some misses that could otherwise not be misses. We're having an ongoing dialogue with who? Hopefully we can get some things done over the course of the next six weeks of spring training. He's talking about uniforms. He's not even talking about all the unsigned players. He's not talking about the deferred comp and Otani and all the labor issues that are so significant and all of the terrible things that I see in front of baseball from a labor standpoint leading to what will be a cataclysmic negotiation in the next CBA. Instead, Tony's talking about pantalones. Now, why would he do that? The answer is Tony Clark and one of his greatest faults and one of the ways that we were always able to take advantage of him is that he always, as a former player, had all of these big worries about player comforts, about travel, about food, about days off, now about uniforms. And owners look at that and they say, Oh, no problem. We'll give you that. We'll give you that. We'll give you that. In return, we need a benefit on we need benefit on benefits. We want lower pension. We want something related to debt service rule. We want something related to caps on salaries. Whatever the case may be, owners have traded economics 
for comfort. Then Tony Clark in the last CBA brought in a hired gun who didn't care about player comfort, and it led to a 99-day lockout because they wanted to get more money to younger players. So when owners see that Tony Clark is talking about uniforms, they're smiling. The problem is, from Tony Clark's standpoint, this is him letting ownership know, listen, we've got really big problems right now, but I'm not even going to start to focus on them because it's just going to be bad. So therefore, our relationship is still so sour. It never got better after the lockout. It hasn't been good in 25 years, in 30 years, in 100 years since the union started. But let's see if we can get this done as a show of faith that we can have the commissioner and Tony Clark stand up together and show brand new non-see-through pants with bigger lettering on the back of a jersey. And I say to that, NGTH, Tony Clark knows exactly what it takes to redo an entire set of jerseys. He knows exactly what it takes to pull jerseys, authentic jerseys off the market, off the shelves. I stand by the fact that no matter how much heat is on jerseys right now, they're not going to get traded out. It's all a bait and switch, and it should make you nervous. And then Tony decided to speak about a few other issues. And then what I thought became true. Tony Clark wanted to make sure that ownership heard loud and clear that if you think you're going to get together and try to stop the Dodgers from doing what they do with deferrals or stop the Nationals from doing what they do with deferrals, it's not going to happen. We love deferrals because we know that teams don't go bankrupt. We know that though our players become creditors over the long term with these teams, like Corbin, like Scherzer, like Freeman, like Betts, like Otani, we know they're going to get paid. It's not like the regional sports networks where Diamond can declare bankruptcy and all of a sudden teams can go from having a 10-year billion-dollar deal to a one-year $100 million deal, and then that's it. They're screwed. There will not be a team ever to file Chapter 11 the way the regional sports networks do. Did. There will not be a team that is ever sold in bankruptcy the way the Orioles were in 1993. It's never going to happen again. There could be four sales, a la Frank McCord, a la Donald Sterling, Robert Sarver, Daniel Snyder. Four sales can still happen, but never run by a court. So why would Tony be talking about deferred comp the way he is? Because Tony knows that there's an entire block of owners that want to limit deferred comp because unlike what Gavin Lux said, that anybody can do it. The reality is almost nobody can do it, but the agents love it as a tool because it gets players the belief that they're getting more notional money because don't bother anyone with discount rates. So Tony had quite a few things to say and it, all of them made me nervous, actually. Our show will continue during the labor stoppage. Don't you worry. All right. What's what? What do you want me to talk about? I are you? Hold on. Are you screaming into my ear? Hello, hello. This isn't a microphone, Coca. This is what's supposed to be in the ear. Oh, you want me to mention that? I did already, but I'll do it again. No problem. Do you remember when uh, 
Rob Manfred came out and said, we want all the signings done around Christmas, the hard deadline. We covered this on Nothing Personal. I love it. Tried this for decades to get a hard deadline. It's an advantage to the team. It has a quashing impact on salaries. That's why. Now, we can pretend it's because we want excitement and we want to control the news cycle in December. And we want the winter meetings to mean something. The minor league winter meetings, that's what they're called, to mean something. Tony Clark had to throw in there, hey, what Scott Boris said, I concur. Any hard deadline will never be approved by the union. They're setting up quite the fight. All right, when we come back, we're going to review a movie that I'm going to beg you to see. It's a documentary about uh, basically military camps for teenagers. And then we're going to go back to the Boston Red Sox because now it's not just Tom Werner and Sam Kennedy talking and John Henry running. Now we've got players on teams. We had Mike Trout yesterday saying, hey, we got to sign one of these last four guys. I'm hoping you do it, Artie. All of a sudden, players are doing this left, right, and center, and the Red Sox are no exception. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson coming at you. 8 a.m. every day, Monday to Friday. Mostly every Monday to Friday on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Make sure you go to our website, davidsampsonpodcast.com. Check out the merch. Reach out with any questions, thoughts, comments. We love to read them in here. We read almost everything you send, even though there's too many to read all of them, but we come pretty darn close. And of course, you can find me. My DMs are open on Twitter at David P. Sampson. I do my best there too. Obviously, having 22 hours in a day certainly does help. I watched a documentary two days ago, and uh, I'm still reeling from it. It's called Hell Camp Teen Nightmare. There's a guy named Steve Cartesano, and he came up with an idea, a for-profit idea, that he is going to start these camps where they take kids whose parents have run out of patience, they've run out of options, and so they sign their kids up to go to, it used to be called military camp. It's where you send ne'er-do-well kids, kids who are doing drugs, kids aren't are skipping school or not getting good grades, kids who don't listen to their parents. You're worried that kids are going to be going to jail. You're worried they're going to commit crimes. Hey, we know the best thing to do. Let's send them away to a military-style camp, and we're going to whip them into shape. Well, it turns out there was more whipping than shape. It turns out that these kids were getting kidnapped, basically, in the middle of the night with their parents' permission. And they were being taken into the desert and being completely mistreated. They were not getting enough food. They were not getting enough water. There were kids getting sick. There were kids dying. There were kids getting abused. There were kids getting, basically, it was not helping kids. It was further traumatizing them. And this guy was doing it as a business 
And he ended up getting in some pretty significant trouble. And this is a documentary. It's called Hell Camp Teen Nightmare because these camps were hell. And I don't want to make the kids sound sympathetic because if you're getting good grades and not playing with guns and not smoking the crack pipe, the odds are you can stay out of these military camps. But so I don't want to say that there was no reason for these kids to have a different path. But like when you send your kid to regular summer camp, you are putting, or even to school, you are putting your trust in others to do the job that they're supposed to do, whatever that job may be. Summer camp, fun, socialization. Military camp, discipline. I'm in for discipline. Discipline doesn't include starvation. It doesn't include not enough to drink. It doesn't include physical and mental torture. Check out this movie. And I would encourage you to watch it with your children. If you have young children, don't. But any, any kid above 12, I would say, should watch this because maybe a percentage of them will get scared straight. But think long and hard before you do this with your ch child. Send them to one of these camps because they still exist, even though Steve's camps don't. I believe he passed away. But either way, they wouldn't exist because they were shut down because they were committing crimes. But camps like this still do exist. And before you do it, make sure you have exhausted all options. Exhausting all options. Obviously, with children, that is a far more meaningful subject than it is in sports. But that is part of the lingo that we hear when players sign, hey, we looked at all our options, we exhausted them, and we settled for the two-year pillow deal because we really liked the school system and the minor league system of that particular team. Owners and presidents, we exhausted all our options, and we agree this is the best 26-man roster we can come up with with the money we have available to us. Very strange what we're seeing with players and what they're saying. When we made that trade in 2012, many of you don't remember that. Many of you may. We traded half the team to Toronto after a failed opening season at Marlins Park. And I remember Giancarlo Stanton tweeting something that upset me. I called him. We spoke. And one thing that we don't ever like is when players come out, our own players, and come out against us. The reason we don't like that is not ego. It's not that we're ashamed or that we feel like failures. It's that it's really divisive. You, I have no problem with players coming up to me, and they did for years, all the time. Hey, I don't like that you do this. I don't like that you said that. I don't like that we don't have this player. We're not good enough. We need hitting. That's what the pitchers said. We need pitching. That's what the hitters said. It's funny how that works. I never had a meeting with a hitter and a pitcher other than like Stanton and Ramos, who were best friends. So that's a hitter and a pitcher would say, hey, we need hitting and pitching. Generally, one side is complaining about the other. It's sort of like the offense and the football team saying, man, we could use a little D, couldn't we? And the D saying, what do you want us to do? We're giving up eight points a game. I don't know why we're not undefeated. You just don't like to see it. Rafael Devers is the exact wrong person. He's one of the top 10 wrong people to be complaining about what the Red Sox have done this offseason. Rafael Devers was given that gargantuan contract. Remember when the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts and Devers was going to be a free agent and they said, hey, 
we're going we're gonna to bring him back. And they completely overpaid him. Devers gave an interview and said, everybody knows what we need. You know what we need, talking to media. They know what we need, talking about the front office. There are some things I can't say out loud. Like, what more could you possibly say that's worse than what you just said? Everybody that knows the organization and knows the game knows what we need. Can you believe the gall of Raphael Devers to say that? When he's taking up such a huge part of a payroll, when he's being overpaid the way he's being overpaid, wouldn't it be way better for him to say, I have trust in my front office. I was able to speak to Craig Breslow and they brought in Theo Epstein. And I know that our ownership with all of their interests and all of the rings that they've given us since 2004, I believe in them. And you're saying to yourself right now, maybe is David, don't be so pro management. What's wrong with employees complaining about their employers? Well, let me see. I would like you to go to work today after the show. And I would like you to then get on your social media page or stand up in the middle of the break room and start impugning your bosses. Just try it. Caveat. Hold on, I'm getting a call for Metalark. All right, I will say it. Here I go. Don't really do that because then you're going to lose your job and then you can sue Metalark for a loss of wages. I'm not asking you to really do it, but would you? Would you ever stand up and say that your bosses are not doing what's right now. You understand the difference between a union negotiating with management in the collective bargaining process, which I'm completely in favor of. If the union wants to negotiate, which they do and they should, that's their right. And management has the right to be at the table. They both have to negotiate in good faith. They can negotiate to an impasse. It's a legal requirement. It's a legal framework. Not part of union protection is a member of your company standing up, going to the media and saying things against management. It's unheard of. I always go back to my Pepsi example or my Morgan Stanley example. Can you imagine someone at Morgan Stanley standing up and saying, you know what? Our guys are a bunch of crooks. You want to do good investment banking, go to Goldman. It's, they're done. Hey, listen, I got to tell you, I work in Pepsi and Cheetos really stink. And Pepsi and Pepsi Zero, oh, I'm a Coke Zero guy. It's ridiculous. Boy, I really wish that Pepsi would spend more money inventing another drink and figuring out a way to make things taste better. What Devers was saying is, hey, they're not spending money to my satisfaction. They're not putting enough people around me, and I want more, more, more. Well, you got more. You got yours. Not sure why he did that. It's just the wrong messenger. You know what else is funny about what they did? Sam Kennedy's a name you've been reading about, another great team president. Sam Kennedy's up against it. He's forced to speak to the media when he doesn't want to and doesn't like to. Tom Werner, no longer allowed to. John Henry never did, never does. You can chase him around spring training all you want. He's not going to talk to you. Sam is left having to pick up the pieces for his owners and don't feel sorry for Sam. And great team president, don't feel sorry for him. 
He said something, though, that caught my attention that I just had to bring up. I'm sorry, but I'm going to. He was commenting on Alex Cora's future in Boston because Alex Cora is in his final year of a contract. And the Red Sox, of course, have finished in last place the last couple of years. So here's what, when asked, it's a normal question. Hey, are you signing your manager to an extension? Now we're going to wait to see how the year goes. Great. No problem. I'd have no issue with that. What Sam said is, we made it clear both to Alex and to Craig Breslow that it's Craig's decision to make about extending Alex Cora. Those guys will talk about it. So we will leave those discussions to Breslow and Alex Cora for when they feel it's appropriate. What? In the history of managerial hirings and firings, the amount of times that an owner or team president was not involved is, wait for it, zero. Never. Why say it? Especially when you just brought in Theo above Craig and then had to say, oh no, Theo has no reporting obligations. Craig doesn't report to Theo. He's not involved in the day-to-day -day operations. Horse hockey. Do you think, here's how it'll work. Do you think Theo and Sam will open up Twitter one day and say, oh, we fired Alex Cora. Oh, we extended Alex Cora. It's just preposterous. Why insult your fan base? Why insult your audience? Why insult anybody? It's just Craig Breslow. They wouldn't give Craig Breslow that ability to make a decision on the manager ever. Forget year one. I wonder where all these four players are going to go. The Boris players. I keep bringing up. I may talk about it on Levitard today when I'm live at 930 and about 39 minutes from now. But it is interesting to me. Aaron Judge is even talking. I definitely feel like there might be another move on the way, but you never know. We'll see. I wonder if that's the offer they made to Blake Snell. Come on, Cashman, you can do it. Randy Levine, be my man. Be the man. Offer Snell two years with an opt-out after one. Make my way to see right. Make Boris panic. Make him wrong. Don't you dare bail him out with a five or six year deal for 150 or 180 or 200 million dollars. Don't do it, please. I just want Scott Boris to take the podium and say, this is what we wanted all along. We wanted two years for Blake Snell. That'll be awesome when he does it. He may. All right, I want to get back to something we touched on earlier with Chase Field in Arizona. Inter Miami made an announcement that they're new, they just did a naming rights deal. And I always pay attention to Florida naming rights deals because we were never able to get one done for Marlins Park. And then, of course, Jeter got one done with Lone Depot. Not. So Inter-Miami just did a deal with Chase. They purchased the naming rights to their temporary home in Fort Lauderdale. And I wanted to explain something about the deal that you're not being told. Go back to the New York Mets. Do you remember when the Mets did their naming rights deal and what their what the deal was? $20 million a year to go from Shea Stadium to City Field, as in Citibank. Part of a naming rights deal is you get tickets which have a value. You get a suite which has a value. You get a few giveaways. You get to put your name on a giveaway. That has a value. And then you get an, an outfield wall sign. That is a value. You get behind the plate signage. That is a value. You add all that up. And then... You say there's all that adds up to five million a year. 
but you're giving us 20 million a year. So the naming rights part of the deal is 15 million. So every naming rights deal is cut down into various categories. And then there's a piece that really is what the naming rights is. City Fields, however, when you add up the seats and the suites and everything else, the biggest part of that naming rights deal is that Citibank got involved in the stadium financing. J.P. Morgan Chase, word is going to come out. I promise you it hasn't come out yet. But if you think J.P. Morgan Chase bought the naming rights away from Drive Pink, DRV Pink Stadium, a temporary building, if you think for one minute that Chase did a deal, now they have Chase Field, they did Chase Center, there's Chase Stadium, they've done a bunch of naming rights deals. Banking is involved. Financing of not just the new stadium in Miami, which by the way, is not broken ground, despite what they tell you. Financing for the development around the stadium. Real estate developers borrow money. They have banking relationships. There is a competition to lend money to developers. There's competition to be the banker for a sports team. J.P. Morgan Chase will be Jorge Mas and Inter Miami's bank that will be used as the lead finance company for the development of all of the area for the new stadium for Inter Miami. They'll tell you it's about Lionel Messi. They'll tell you what a great deal that we want to be associated with Messi, the brand. That is all a bunch of malarkey. What they want to do is they want to beat out their competitors and be the lead syndicate lender for all the money that will be borrowed for the development of this real estate play in Miami. Just wait to see. It's going to happen that way. Why? Say it. Believe it. It's just business. We'll be back tomorrow, live, 8 a.m. This is nothing personal.